The VPM Daily Newscast is sponsored by Kanawa Capital Management. Your financial life is unique, complex, and dynamic. Kanawa Capital Management's team of credentialed professionals has been helping its clients build wealth and confidence through personalized planning and informed investing since 1989. Learn more at cancap.com. That's K-A-N-C-A-P.com. You're listening to the VPM Daily Newscast, the recap of today's top stories in Central Virginia. From the VPM Newsroom in Richmond, I'm Benjamin Dolly. Governor Glenn Youngkin's administration has rolled out a new draft policy regarding the treatment of transgender students. It seeks to supersede separate guidance developed by the Virginia Department of Education last year. Megan Pauley reports on the legality of the proposed changes. As part of last year's guidance, school staff were instructed to use a specific name and pronoun at a student's request. But the new draft policy from the Yunkin administration only gives parents the right to make that request on behalf of their student. Carl Tobias, a University of Richmond law professor, says he doesn't think Yunkin's proposal is legal, given language in a 2020 law about what the policy was intended to do, protect trans youth. If you look at the model policies from Friday, they seem to do something almost diametrically opposed to what the legislators intended in passing legislation. State Delegate Marcus Simon sponsored the 2020 law. He told VPM News that Youngkin's draft policy doesn't reflect evidence-based practices, which his legislation required. Though Simon says the policy would be more ripe for a legal challenge if and when a school district actually adopts it. Megan Polly, VPM News. VPM News is also curious about how you think this proposed policy would impact students across the Commonwealth. You can read more about the Yunkin administration's draft guidance and tell us what you think about it by filling out our survey at vpm.org. Governor Glenn Youngkin has acknowledged the legitimacy of the 2020 election, but he's set to campaign next month for Kerry Lake, who's leaned into election conspiracy theories as a candidate in the Arizona governor's race. Ben Pavier sat down with KJZZ politics reporter Ben Giles to hear more about the visit. Tell me a little bit about Carrie Lake, her political career, and how she won the Republican primary in Arizona. Sure. Well, her political career is a bit of a career change. Before she decided to run for governor, she spent about two decades in local news in the Phoenix metro area. She worked for a local Fox affiliate as uh, as an anchor for much of that time. She likes to talk about... Uh, how she was invited into people's homes for for years and years and years and how people are comfortable and familiar with her now that she's decided to make a career change and run for governor as a uh, Trump-endorsed, Trump-loving Republican. Can you tell me a little bit about Carrie Lake's political positions, her, her platform? She is very much aligned with uh, the the Trump Republican style of the day. Um, she is anti-critical race theory. She is anti-mask mandates. She is uh, of the mind that the 2020 election was stolen from President Trump and that specifically there were uh, a lot of shenanigans going on in Maricopa County in Arizona. That's the county that the, the Phoenix metro region is in. Um, if you if you think of a Trump policy, Kerry Lake is is probably on board with it. So we have a slightly different kind of Republican in in you know Glenn Youngkin here in Virginia. I mean, his message heading into last year's election was 
you know, uh, keeping keeping Trump's at sort of an arm's length. It seems like to me that Kerry Lake is a very different kind of candidate, as you just mentioned. So I'm wondering what your theory is on why he might come stump for her. What what does she get out of that? Well, I think she gets to look a little bit more official. She gets to look a little bit more the part of, you know, the the Republican candidate, the candidate for mainstream Republicans in Arizona. Glenn Youngkin is a winner, a proven winner. Um, he's the governor of Virginia now. Glenn Youngkin is also a relatively new uh, newcomer at politics, much like Carrie Lake. So they have that in common, actually, which I think helps her because – it shows that Republicans in other state can trust a kind of new convert to Republican causes. And, and one thing we've been tracking is sort of like how other Republicans are borrowing or not from Yunkin's win in Virginia. You know, this is a state that Biden won by 10 points. So it was surprising to a lot of people. And are you seeing any, any of the kind of rhetoric that, that he deployed about sort of parents' rights and critical race theory? To what extent are those drivers in this, in this election? Oh, those are definitely talking points on the Kerry Lake campaign. Um, and and broadly, that is a talking point that appeals to a large swath of the Republican base in Arizona. I would say it's not just Lake that has been talking about parental rights and school choice in Arizona. Um, it is the Republican establishment. Final question. Do we have a sense of what, you know, where the wind is blowing at this point? I think it's going to be a down to the wire race. Um, most of the most of the polls that we've seen that seem to be trustworthy have things within the margin of error between Carrie Lake and her Democratic opponent, the current Secretary of State of Arizona, Katie Hobbs. This is going to be possibly the most closely contested race on the ballot. That was KJZZ politics reporter Ben Giles speaking with VPM News reporter Ben Pavier about Governor Yunkin's upcoming campaign stop in Arizona. This Friday is the first day of in-person early voting in Virginia for the November 8th election. 45 days before Election Day, voters can go to their local registrar's office or a satellite polling place to cast a ballot. Because of a change in state law a few years ago, voters do not need a reason or excuse to vote early. If a Virginian has changed their address in the past year, they will need to update their voter information. The deadline to register to vote is October 17th. As Dominion Energy moves forward with a wind farm off the coast of Virginia Beach, researchers want to know how it will affect wildlife. A local team is working to study one bird species in particular. Catherine Hafner from partner station WHRO has the story. Brian Watts and Alex Wilkie take out their high-powered binoculars and scan the mudflats. We're on a boat right off Willis Wharf on the eastern shore. Watts with William & Mary and Wilkie with the Nature Conservancy are looking for wimbrels. They're brownish shorebirds that have long, skinny beaks, good for hunting fiddler crabs. There's two birds that have just flown into this mudflat here, and you can see those and you're, you're hearing them calling there. They sort of have this mournful shorebird call. That was Watts. Each summer, wimbrels fill up on crabs here, then make their way south. They end up largely at the mouth of the Amazon in Brazil. But experts don't know their exact flight path over the Atlantic. And within a few years, there could be an obstruction. There is some concern about the potential conflict with the turbine field. Watts is talking about Dominion's planned wind farm of 176 turbines. They could be up by 2026 if the company gets approval. 
The structures would each stand at more than 800 feet, taller than the Washington Monument. The federal site is about 27 miles off the ocean front and was placed out of the way of most bird migrations. But Watts says Wimbrels and a few others are still an open question. Maybe they're flying over the wind field, um, but they're flying so high that it's not an issue. And so that's one of the main questions we want to resolve. To do so, the research team spent much of August trapping, tagging, and releasing Wimbrels. They ended up putting tracking devices on 15 birds. Those will send back data about not only where the Wimbrels are, but how high they're flying. Here's Wilkie with the Nature Conservancy. Projects like this, where we're, you know, sort of working locally but thinking hemispherically, that's the only way we're going to learn those important lessons and really be able to effectively protect these species in the future. Dominion is funding the project with about $300,000. Scott Lawton is an environmental technical advisor with the company. He says they've been monitoring wildlife ever since Dominion put up two pilot turbines in the fall of 2020. We've seen um, bats out at the turbine. Surprisingly, we've seen uh, butterflies, dragonflies, and a lot of insects. A lot of those surveys have been required through the regulatory process. The Wimbrel study is an extension of the efforts based on a bird focus group Dominion led. We don't want to be in a situation where we have high bird mortality. Historically, on land-based wind projects, that's been an issue. That's Dominion biological consultant Matt Overton. Say there does turn out to be an issue with the turbines. What happens next? Here's Overton. It'll be a seasonal thing because the birds aren't always in that area. But I don't think it's going to move the project. I don't think it's going to shut it down for sure. I do think we may have some seasonal operational conditions. Officials also know the knowledge gained will be valuable beyond Virginia. Offshore wind projects are expected to become a more common site along the East Coast in the coming decades. Back on the shore, Watts takes a deep breath near the marshes where they caught several wimbrels. So the eastern shore of Virginia is, is one of those uh, special places throughout the annual cycle. It's the only place really uh, of significance um, where they stage during both migration uh, cycles. And so it seems like these birds have built their annual cycle around the eastern shore. So this place is really special and important. The research project will extend through next year before gathering results. That was Catherine Hafner reporting. The Black History Museum and Cultural Center of Virginia wants to know what the community thinks should be done with the Confederate iconography that once lined Richmond's Monument Avenue. The Black History Museum was given responsibility by the city to manage the monuments. Along with its partner, the Valentine Museum, it launched a survey to get ideas on how to contextualize the full history of these statues and ensure they do not, quote, perpetuate the ideology of those who led the fight to enslave African Americans. You can find the survey at the Black History Museum's website. This has been the VPM Daily Newscast. Some of these stories may have changed since the newscast was recorded. You can stay connected to what matters by heading to vpm.org news or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MyVPM. VPM. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. 
Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.